everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Stovall, and we have been currently working our way through the track sessions from last year's National Disciple Making Forum. Today's episode is part three of Awana's track sessions, and it features Matt Markins again, who is the Chief Strategy Officer for Awana. Today, he's informing us of three critical factors to making resilient child disciples. I've got three little rugrats of my own, so I found this episode to be super helpful, and I really appreciated just the practical tips for discipling my children. It's awesome stuff here. All right, let's go ahead and dive in, and let's see what Matt's got for us today. Here we go. Parenting our two sons has been pretty darn easy, if I'm really honest, until two months ago. We find, you know, I remember my wife and I, we've always said, like, when are we going to hit the rough patch? When are we going to hit the rough patch? And we hit it here recently. My youngest son on the far left is having some emotional challenges for the first time. We lived here for 20 years, Chicago and for seven, and then we moved back here during the pandemic. But the adjustment back here is it's kind of hitting him hard. Uh, so my point in saying that is... Uh, we're all carrying something. We're all carrying some burden or some emotional or some kind of struggle, maybe physically. Uh, that's, our, that's our latest one. <clears throat> that's my wife, Katie. We've been married 23 years. Um, and then Warren is on the far right. He's our sophomore in college studying business. So um, we loved raising our kids. I just, Jay was playing Seeds Family Worship. My kids grew up listening to that, getting scripture permeated uh, into, into all around their environment. Uh, but we do not have it figured out, but we are, that's been our focus, is how do we faithfully and fruitfully disciple uh, children. So just for a few moments, we're going to talk about like some of the changes that we've seen in our culture that are shaping the family. We're just going to reference a few, but I want to hear back from you, like what changes have you seen? Uh, one of the big ones is obviously uh, the increased velocity of secular culture, the rapid rise of aggressive secularism. What is secularism? Secularism is the diminishing of God and the emphasis on the individual. So kind of knocking God off the throne. You've heard the phrase, God is dead. You know, uh, this idea that we're going to diminish God and we're going to elevate self. And that that's kind of the spirit of the air. It's the water that we're swimming in, the water that our children are swimming in, and how all of that impacts us. And by the way, not everything secular is necessarily anti-God or or... or or anti-gospel, uh, it's just the, the non-sacred, the non-Christian world, right? Um, some of it's just the systems and structures that we live in to help improve life, you know? So it's not all necessarily bad, but a lot of it can be godless, okay? Uh, second one is the seismic shift in family structure. Because we're, no, because we're in a secular world now, theism is no longer assumed, Judeo-Christian worldview is no longer assumed, therefore Therefore, the, the systems and structures that are set up by God are not necessarily valued like they once were. One of the big ones is obviously the family structure, and our kids are, are living in the aftermath of that. That's, that's a big shift. Uh, a lot of single homes, um, a lot of, you know, uh, we used to use the term broken home, where the reality is every home is a broken home, right? Um, so, and then a third one is the declining vitality of the local church. Uh, a lot of churches are just struggling, you know, and, and it's for a variety of reasons. Maybe we've taken our eye off of the ball of the main things, the gospel, worshiping, creating worshipers, disciple-making, evangelism. If we've taken our eyes off of those, and especially the, the role of reaching our own children, 
uh, a lot of churches have declined because we've fallen in love with lesser things. Our churches in this country, we've fallen in love with politics. We've fallen in love with other things more so than Jesus. And we've seen a decline. Uh, there's the sexual abuse scandals that it's really kind of coming out of the closet, so to speak. Uh, we've seen that uh, the church is not as healthy as it should be. All of the, I just named three changes that I think have had a significant impact on where we are today. Um, okay, so, so what changes are, just really quickly, like what, what changes are you guys seeing? When you look backwards 20 years, what changes do you see going on around us? Our, busy schedule. our busyness, yeah, yeah. John Mark Comer wrote that book, the, Rap, or the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. If you've not read that, that's a really, really good book. So if secularism is the dismissal of God and the emphasis on the individual, youth sports has been like a Trojan horse for secularism. Like youth sports has created a culture where without even realizing it, we have dismissed God and we've emphasized the individual. Going back to what you said about busyness, there's all, if you guys like the business author, Patrick Lencioni, if you've heard of him, he has a book called, Sarah, maybe you can look it up and help me. It's like the frantic, it's yellow. Most of his books are like a fable and he writes a story. The, the one about the frantic family, it's yellow, is really, really good. It's not intended to be a quote unquote Christian book, but it talks about how can we take all these principles that he's learned in best practices and leadership and business and bring them into prioritize what's most important in our family. So Again, it is a business and leadership book, but he's plying the best things he's ever he's learned in his lifetime toward the family. It's super good. But I bring that up because it's this idea that the family is frantic and we shouldn't we shouldn't be frantic. So how can we how can we get out of that cycle? That's a really good book. All right, we're going to we're going to keep moving. Those are really really good. I but I think I th we've kind of talked about pieces of fruit, but I think the tree that all this is coming from is the culture that we've arrived at of secularism. Again, dismissal of God, emphasis on the individual, and this idea of a post-Christian culture, meaning we still want the fruit and the benefits and the goals and the outcomes of Christianity, but the culture wants it without Christ, right? It's like that bouquet I mentioned yesterday, a bouquet of flowers, you know, it's been cut off from its root system. It's only going to last so long before it, it experiences decay. And that's what we're experiencing. We want freedom. We want redemption, we want uh, justice, all of love, all the happiness, but if we cut it off from its root system, it's not going to sustain. So uh, that's where we found ourselves. So we talked about, again, for many of you, this is a review. We've, we're moving from a, what we would call at least a quasi-majority Christian culture to a post-Christian culture. So this is start a chart by Ed Stetzer, where historically we kind of stuck together Convictional Christians at the bottom, this is us, the Apostles' Creed, we believe in God's Word, Jesus is, is our Savior, all of these things that would unite a convictional Christian. Uh, congregational, this, uh, near the bottom, that's, uh, I'm, I go to church a couple times a year, I'm a member of a church, I'm affiliated with a church. Uh, cultural Christian, that's, hey, my great-grandfather was a pastor, I'm born in America, I call myself a Christian, I check that box, right? So what's happening here in the current and moving into the future is, Cultural Christians and, congreg or, and congregational Christians actually identify more with secular thinking than they do uh, convictional Christianity. Why? It's that idea of post-Christian culture. I want the fruit, the outcomes, but I actually don't identify with where it comes from. I'm not gonna. I'm not rooted in the Scripture, and I'm not rooted into God's kingdom and, and where the the Word of God. So, so we started asking this question as an organization, uh, handfully, starting in 2013. Uh, are we adequately discipling today's kids? So thinking about this future, right? Are we adequately 
uh, discipling today's kids to lead the future of the church in that future culture, in a culture that's very likely going to be increasingly, mar- we're already seeing that marginalization today. You know, I said yesterday that John Tyson said recently, secularism is here and it's here to stay. We don't see a shift in terms of the dominant culture. There likely won't be a shift toward moving Christianity back to being the dominant mainstream culture in the West. Uh, we don't have anything historically says that we're going to go from a pre-Christian culture to a Christian culture to post-Christian culture back to a Christian culture. But what we do see historically is the remnant, that convictional group, oftentimes can thrive and a revival can uh, come about. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to be the dominant culture again. It just means the church can thrive no matter what. So let's talk about, let's talk about the type of child who can thrive uh, in this world. Have you guys seen this photo before? Uh, this is a young man named Hayden. Uh, I believe the time this picture was taken, he was 14. This is from, I think, three years ago. Uh, how many of you are familiar with See You at the Pole? I see you, I see you verbalizing that right there. Yeah, See You at the Pole. So Hayden shows up at See You at the Pole, and he's waiting on his friends. He's waiting, he's waiting, his friends don't show, and he's thinking to himself, do I stay or do I go? I think this is obviously a reenactment photo, but he, he stays and he, he, he just, he prayed that God would use his standing alone to somehow move and stir other people for God. And uh, his mom wrote this on a blog. Hayden told me that as he stood alone, he prayed and cried, the cry of his heart had been that God, as people drive by, let them wonder, let them hearts be pricked. Eventually, when he realized that no one else was coming, the cry of his heart changed, and he asked that God would do something with his standing alone. Uh, I'm, I'm a three on the Enneagram, so if I would have been standing there alone as a high school kid, I'd be like, you guys are jerks. How could you do this to me? You know, like, Hayden, Hayden is a, so what, are we, what language would we give to Hayden? We would give that Hayden is resilient. That's what we would say. His faith was resilient. resilient. Spiritual resiliency is a quality describing spiritual elasticity of a child or adult. It's the resistant strength to bend and flex but not break against the weight of culture. So where do we see this in the scripture? Uh, we see this with Esther. Esther, when it came right down to it, look at that, those words, the resistant strength to bend and flex, but to not break against the weight of culture. She had every reason to just say, I'm not putting my head on the chopping block. We see Daniel. Think about the life of Daniel. If we could go, if we could go back in time a little before Daniel to his probably the time of his birth, uh, if you'll remember, Josiah discovered the scrolls and it was like oh my goodness we have been in such decline that we've forgotten god's word we've hidden the scrolls and we've lived these pagan lives so god brought him so he's he opens up the scrolls he reads the scrolls uh, a movement of god comes they repent and they're pursuing god they're worshiping god and so god brought about a, a little bit of a renewal and a revival in that time period well daniel shadrach meshach and abednego would have been infants or, or being born that was either just before or just after they were born. Now fast forward to uh, Daniel chapter 9, just before the angel Gabriel arrives, um, it says the phrase, um, uh, at the hour of the evening sacrifice. Now we know that Daniel spent, he's like 80, 75, 80 years old at that time, he spent the vast majority of, he hasn't been, he hasn't been in the, the temple sacrificial system since he was a little guy. So he spent his entire, so something happened when he was a young man that was so powerful. Well, we know that to be what was happening in Josiah's time. 
he was formed. He was a resilient disciple who was living in this entirely pagan culture, completely surrounded. Does this sound familiar <laughs> to have a society that's in such decline, has forgotten the Bible? You know, so this is, this is an interesting framework, biblical framework, as we think about today, um, that Josiah to Daniel framework. But what's happening is spiritual resiliency. So as kids pastors and those who influence the children of our community, uh, what we're suggesting is that we really need to be thinking about spiritual resiliency. Going back to that question, um, are we adequately preparing today's, you know, today's kids to, to thrive in that type of environment? So you're probably familiar with um, this book. If you're not, uh, add it to your wish list on Amazon. It's called Faith for Exiles. Uh, we, we published our own book uh, using similar language. It's pretty cool when you when you publish a book and you haven't been talking to the other authors and you're using the same vernacular, using the same language. Uh, so uh, David Kinnaman and Mark Matlock, you remember Mark, we did some work together with D6, yeah. 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 They published their research and their book on Faith for Exiles, which is that same idea of Daniel living in exile. At the same time, we were, we were like nine months after them writing and publishing this, Resilience, uh, but we're using all the same language and some of the same research. But in Faith for Exiles, what they discovered uh, among Gen Z is that there are 11% of Gen Z are, are resilient disciples. And they go over the five characteristics the, of what, what's different about these young people compared to all the other subsets of their generation. And so, if the, so here's the, the, the connection for us as kids pastors. If these are the young adults who are resilient disciples, what's happening at the younger age to form them to become these five characteristics? That's the connection between these two books. So this is what Awana's put together and what we're going to go into today or over the next seven hours, just kidding, over the next 30 minutes is what are those characteristics? So uh, if our young people are going to thrive in digital Babylon, they have to move beyond familiarity and intimacy with Jesus. So what is it that cultivates that kind of intimacy with Jesus? So back to that question. This is a question that uh, we've been asking for quite some time uh, because, again, it's about that question mark. What you're doing in kids' ministry, obviously, you, it's so, it's, we live in the week to week. We live in the Sunday comes every week, midweek comes every week, um, and it's just right on top of us at all times. But we, we know in our hearts and in our minds that our real job is to launch these kids out to lead the future of the church, to be active in their culture, in their community, and to thrive in their faith. So what kind of, what can we do now of all of the options that we have that's going to produce um, the type of resilient disciples to thrive in their faith a lot like Daniel. So this is, this is an old book, and it's a lot less relevant now than it, than it once was because the research is from 2013 and 14. But we published a bunch of research we did in those two years in this book. If you want to go back and get it, it's called The Gospel Truth About Children's Ministry. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it on um, awana.org. But we put our top 10 findings in here uh, from that project. Uh, one of the questions we asked was, how carefully are you and your team evaluating, tracking, and measuring the success and impact of your overall children's ministry in your church? Please answer using a five-point scale, where one is poor and five is excellent. So in your mind, you don't have to do it out loud, but in your mind, like, get your number. It can even be a decimal, you know? We've got some nerds out here. We've got some 3.75s. I know we do. So, <laughs> so okay, so get your number. Here's what we learned, 2.99. So it's like just, so, so one to five. So what, 
what message are children's ministry leaders sending the church about the effectiveness of what we do? The message is this. Like, we really don't know. But here's, here's where I would challenge us to say, don't just set this down and keep moving. And keep, here's where I would challenge us to keep digging. Uh, how many of you have dropped your kids off at college or chosen a college with your kids? Yeah, some four or five of us. Um, when, when you are evaluating colleges with your kids, especially if you're serious about education, you want your child to have a good education, a thriving career, you're comparing, let's say, three schools. And let's say you're going into a nursing program. What you want to know certain things. You want to know, like, what's your job placement rate? How, how good is the program? Like, talk about the GPAs. Talk about, you know, all the successes. And guess what? Colleges can tell you the answers to those questions. They, they track those metrics because they are, it's a competitive world. It's a brutal competitive world out there. And they want to be able to say, here's how successful our program is. Well, there's nothing more important in the world, I think, that... Revelation chapter 7, we're around the throne worshiping Jesus, and your eyes are looking for, I mean, your eyes are looking at Jesus, don't get me wrong, but if we can be human just for a second, where else are your eyes looking? You're looking for where are my kids, right? That's what we want. Like, that's the ultimate outcome. So as a kids minister, as a local church, you know, we want to know, like, how effective. Let's think about who's going to be around that throne. We want as many of our kids to be around that throne as possible worshiping Jesus. So, what are the outcomes and what are the key metrics within our children's ministry that help us to know, like, are we moving in the right direction? Um, so I forgot the setup of the slide. I just screwed up the punchline. Anyway, but here's the, here's, here's the problem. Here's the, here's the problem. We, instead of it being about outcomes and what are the key things that drive those outcomes, children's ministry has really, unfortunately, become about driving these programs. By the way, we could agree as a team here, if we, if we were all of a sudden stuck on the island, we could pick any one of these and make it very successful. I really think we could. It's not about the methodology. It's about what's behind the methodology. Like what's the philosophy rooted in scripture and disciple making? This is not the problem. The problem is, you know, what, what are we going to choose to focus on and what approach are we going to take as we uh, drive that focus? But as we, some of us were in here talking about yesterday, we're so broad. Children's ministry can be broad, right? Children's ministry can mean a lot of things on the low end of the pool. It can mean childcare and babysitting. I'm not saying that you would think that, but many perhaps do think that. Uh, children's ministry can be high levels of entertainment. Walk around just about any kids' ministry conference and look at the exhibit hall. What are you going to see? You're going to see a lot of gadgets, a lot of entertainment. Uh, and, the, and again, that has its place. If I were doing kids' ministry right now, I would want something to engage them, right? So entertainment alone is not bad. It's just the, the, the amount of emphasis in the West we placed on entertainment. Remember, those of you who read children's ministry blogs, if we could go back a decade ago, what was everyone blogging about? Disney, 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 make your children's ministry like Disney. That was the big conversation. But in today's post-Christian culture, is that going to form the resilient disciples of the future? We put a lot of emphasis on a lot of things. Children's ministry is broad, but child disciple making is focused. It's a very specific target. So let's get into uh, what that is. So every human being has three basic needs. Community, meaning, and freedom. Communities, relationships. It's this idea uh, that you know, you're, not, you're not living on an island. We're born, even if you're an introvert, 
You have, you have needs, you have people needs, you have community, you have belonging needs. Meaning is this idea, it's almost like, you know, epistemology is the idea that we collect knowledge to convert that into wisdom, to understand meaning. So every human being is born with a desire. Uh, it's eternity in our hearts that we, we crave meaning and purpose. And the third one is freedom. And this is because we do have meaning, we are people of purpose, we want the ability to live out that and to have agency to make our own choices. So what's happening here uh, is there are these same needs that we have, we need a discipleship strategy that matches those needs and forms within these three areas. So there, um, we in this research here, uh, this book right here, which was the beginning of our pursuit, we started asking the question, what got us going down this road is we were asking the question, what is it the local church does that brings about the highest levels of long-term, lasting faith in kids? Like that's the, that's the genesis of this, which is ultimately what led us here. So in, in the book, Resilient, the subtitle is Child Discipleship and the Fearless Future of the Church. In this book, we were trying to uh, understand um, what the, real, the critical factors were. Because if you think about that slide, that's just all of those methodologies, right? Okay, what if we could just put all that down for a second and say, what's the philosophy, what's the underpinning, what's the philosophy that yields the highest level of long-term fruit in kids? So we did uh, three kind of areas of research before we arrived at this. One of them is we conducted our own research projects. We did four projects between that and 2019. Um, and then we collected other people's research like Lifeway, uh, Fuller Youth Institute, uh, Barna, uh, Christian Smith and others. The second area of research we did was just we studied the Gospels. What is Jesus doing in the Gospels with human beings and just like just studying like what, what are those things he's doing? And the third thing we did was we collected a lot of letters. Our organization is in 130 countries from around the world and we looked at those real life testimonies and what are people actually saying is working. So we took these three buckets and we arrived at three critical factors that um, yield long-term fruit in children and they overlap with the five things that the Barna Group is saying here. So if you take the time to read this and look at Resilient, you can see the congruence between the two. Okay, the three critical factors are, are belong, believe, become. Okay, so what we're gonna do is now kind of slow it down a little bit, and we're gonna talk about um, what's, what's underneath these three areas. We're gonna unpack these a little more slowly um, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the definition, which is what you're going to see on the screen. Then we're going to talk about the resilient insight, like what's the insight from that definition. And the third thing we're going to talk about underneath each one of these are four distinctives. So what's the definition, what's the insight we're taking away from that, and then four distinctives. So what we do have on the screen is the definition, but that insight and the four distinctives I don't have published on the screen. The reason is we are working with Mark Matlock and the Barna Group to actually pull from the massive data that we just did in a project to formulate this. My point is we are right in the middle of releasing this training so we don't have all of this uh, uh, designed yet. So of these three factors uh, that are working together to produce uh, identity or worldview or uh, a long-term uh, lasting faith disciple, of these three factors, the first, we position belonging to be the first one uh, in terms of how we release, uh, how we talk about them. And the first one is that belonging is a highly relational ministry led by loving, caring adults. 
Um, if you'll notice, though, we're not framing this in a way like with, with, with D6, was D6, we talked about the church and the home working together, which is God's plan, God's original plan, and his, still his plan A is that parents would do this. What Alana's trying to say is whether that's happening or not happening, this, this can happen, meaning the parents can do it, but if the parents are not doing it, a church can build this type of ministry. Like in my case, my parents didn't have the tools to do this stuff. My parents just didn't. It was not going to happen. But the church was the church. So if there's a stalemate between the church saying, hey, parents, disciple the kids, and the, kid, and the parents saying, we don't know what to do. If there's a stalemate, theologically, whose job is to lead? God sanctioned the church in this age to be the equipper, right? So what we're trying to say is if the parents are not doing this at home, the church has got to equip its key volunteers to see kids to, and to get engaged in their lives. So, belong is highly relational ministry led by loving, caring adults. Um, the United Nations, Harvard, Harvard Center for the Developing Child, done big project, research projects on this, uh, really helping us understand that one, act, if kids have access to one loving, caring adult, their probability of long-term, what they define as long-term success goes up significantly. This should be like, a gold mine to the church. It should be like a deep well of wisdom to the church that as we think about our church, or we should think about our church as this vibrant community where when kids engage this, we would want them to feel so seen, known, and loved that even if they don't know Jesus yet, that they would think, why would I ever want to disassociate from this? Like it should be just so vibrant, so life-giving. Like this is why kids join gangs. This is why kids are addicted to social media because they get some kind of belonging, right? So the church needs to see itself, look back in Acts, look back in the Gospels in the New Testament, and see what's happening, the vibrancy of that community. And we need to be tapped into Jesus, have intimacy with Jesus, and, and radiating that out toward kids to become this type of a community. So, um, uh, again, the, re the research continues to show that when kids have access to a loving, caring adult, what I, what I don't, what I can't throw up on the screen yet because the Barner Group hasn't, will not allow us to release it, but we just did a, a, a massive research project with the Barner, that will, Barner Group that will release in April. And uh, what, probably one of the biggest findings was that uh, in, in North America, out of the 200 or 2,000 and some parents who responded across, uh, across the country, um, out of every 10 children who attend our churches, four of them say they have another loving, caring adult in their church who, who cares for them. So it's like, okay, that's some good news, right? Like that's some good news. The bad news is six, six do not. But of the four out of 10 who do, guys, like every single cross-tabulation stat is like off the charts, like, like engages the Bible, enjoys going to worship, has other friends at church, feels like they belong to the larger church body. Every single, it's like, it's like this, like the bar chart. Like the kids who, the four, the 40%, it's actually 39%, who have a loving, caring adult at the church, their spiritual growth is up and to the right. For the six out of 10 who do not, it is half, sometimes even less than half. So what is, what, what does this say to the church? It's saying this right here. If our churches can become a church where we see kids, we engage kids, we love kids, kids feel known, 
the likelihood of them being able to have a heart that's open and a mind that's open to receiving Christ and growing him is much, much higher. So we could keep going on that, but what are, what are four distinctives? Again, I do not have these on the screen for you, but there's four distinctives of a resilient child disciple maker within this area uh, that we can focus on training our people to think and act this way. The first one is this. Make sure that every child feels loved, known, and has a sense of belonging. Make sure that every child feels known, loved, and has a sense of belonging. One of the downsides of our U.S. educational system is that we, we, you know, we have like, let's say, 22 kids in a room, and they're a herd. They're like a herd of kids, and we're moving the herd forward together. And, uh, that, you know, I, I, I cannot imagine how hard it must be to be a teacher, but the reality is there's 22 individuals in that room. So let's translate this to the church, right? You've got 22 kids in your children's ministry, or 200, or 800, or 12, but every one of those is an individual. How can we mobilize, inspire, equip, and train and mobilize each of our volunteers to see every one of those children as an individual who needs to feel known? You know, think of, think of uh, I'm, I'm a sports guy. I see, I see one of my Titans fans right here, Jared. You know, you play zone defense, right? Where you've got multiple receivers you're covering, but you gotta pay attention in the same way. How can, how can I, as a leader, a volunteer, have multiple kids, like I'm coming every week, I'm ready to connect personally with these kids and I'm tracking with their lives. Like, hey, you had a basketball tournament last week. How did that go, you know? Hey, I know your sister was sick. How is she feeling? And we're checking, we can create systems to check up on our kids throughout the week. We can resource our leaders with things that can go into the home. I know during COVID, a lot of leaders and volunteers drove by parents' homes and got a little more active in getting outside of the church. So making sure every child feels known and loved and has a sense of belonging. When kids arrive, are they getting a high five? Are they getting a fist bump? Are we getting down on their level and making sure they feel seen? I realize I'm biased because I, I work for Awana, I serve for Awana, but one thing I love about Awana is that it creates a small group environment where what we call eye-to-eye, knee-to-knee. Every child gets at least a few minutes of eye-to-eye, knee-to-knee with a leader where we're looking at the handbook saying, hey, let's look at this verse together. What's God saying here? Let's break this down phrase by phrase. You know, this is actually a prayer. You can pray this too. Like that kind of communication, but along with the scripture engagement, there's also a, how you doing, man? How you doing? You know, let's let's pray about that together. Again, eye-to-eye, knee-to-knee. Now it takes a group of volunteers to do that, but you wanna talk about effectiveness and fruitfulness in a post-Christian culture, that's a highly relational community. Okay, commercial is over, okay. Uh, the The second distinctive of a belonging church is every one of your volunteers and leaders knows, needs to know that just one moment can make a lifetime of impact. Just one moment can make a lifetime of impact. Is there a moment you had as a child where you, some, something happened, someone stepped into your life and you still remember that moment today? Yeah, for me it was, I, I, I didn't even know it, but I viewed myself as, I had attached the word, like the hashtags to my life, divorce, custody, child support. Those things defined me. But Nancy wrote me handwritten cards. She told me that I had the gifts of mercy, encouragement, and leadership. By the way, I don't know what happened to that mercy part. It's like, I don't know. <laughs> but, 
Yeah, so, okay, so just one moment. So what if, what if our whole volunteer force, our whole loving, caring adult force, just realize like every moment, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be so present. I'm gonna put that phone away. I'm gonna be eye to eye with kids and I'm gonna be present and be ready to let the Lord work through me. Hey, I hope you've been enjoying this episode so far. I wanted to take just a second to tell you about the Discipleship.org Collective. It's an online community designed for disciples and disciple makers. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you fit in one or both of those categories. And we made this website with your needs in mind. The website itself is super cool because it's like stepping into a virtual church building. There's a welcome center, an auditorium for main events, and even some classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective where we provide weekly webinars, we've got ebooks, and even disciple making assessments for you and also your whole church. And don't mistake this for just a website, it's actually a community for disciple makers. Basic membership is free, but there's also a premium access option that includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So go to discipleship.org slash collective and sign up for your free membership today. Number three, the third area, uh, the third distinctive of a highly belonging ministry is understanding each child's unique needs, challenges, and environment and context. This is about knowing the child, understanding each child's unique needs, challenges, and environment and context. So imagine, I have heard of churches who are doing this, but imagine if as a church, almost like we had a file on each child to really, like the education system has a file on each child, the doctor has a file on each child, the church most likely does not. But what if we, what if we really could figure out how to say, here's where this child is, socio, uh, emotionally, physically, spiritually, health-wise, etc. I don't, I don't know the answer. I'm putting a problem on the table, but I think it's something we have to figure out how to do. We have to, if we could, if we could see that child a little differently, it might help us to know how to approach that child. So, how can the church think more holistically about knowing who each and every one of these children are? Um, at, at a minimum, at a minimum, I hate to talk business language, but at a minimum, we could at least segment them into like care, cultivation, and commissioning. You know, like these kids just need a ton of care right now. Just care for them. These kids are ready to be cultivated, and these kids are ready to do something. They can be commissioned to go do some really good stuff. So um, we've just got to think a little differently, I think, as we move forward. Each child's unique needs uh, need to be understood. And the fourth area under belonging, the fourth distinctive is Ensure that each child has his or her own unique relational discipleship pathway. Um, this is uh, Kara Powell in her book, Sticky Faith, talks about this idea of five to one, uh, a, a, a sticky web of relationships of five intergenerational adults per every child. If we can think that way in our, in our ministry, again, this is a culture change. It's not like you can single-handedly single transform this. Um, but if you do, let me know how you did it. But this idea of how can we form a community around our children to where these kids have those adults, like the, like the adult who uh, put that necklace in the you know, card and mailed it, to where we under, if we know their unique needs and we have that web of relationships around them, we can make sure they're on their own 
discipleship pathway. Again, that's moving from like herd mentality. We're moving this kids forward through a herd or each child is an individual. They are part of a community, but they're also an individual. And how can they each be on their own care, cultivation and commissioning type of pathway? So the church, is, as we move into an increasingly post-Christian culture, secular culture, hopefully you see kind of a theme here that's happening from every child's got to feel known and loved. Just a moment can make all, all a lifetime of difference, understanding that each child has their own unique needs and they each need to be on their own unique discipleship pathway. The kids sitting, the two kids sitting right here are on their own, they're on a different journey. And, you know. So again, that, that insight under this definition, the insight is that one loving, caring adult can make all the difference. And these four distinctives, if we can get them into our, the culture of our children's ministry, into the strategy of our children's ministry, we believe that we can become this uh, and we can fill it. So let me end on this section with um, what we call the disciple maker's prayer. Uh, the disciple maker's prayer in this is, let me show you Jesus. Let me show you Jesus. Like, like we, we, we should be praying to God, God, let me show these kids who Jesus is, what he looks like. When they encounter me, when they encounter my team, our team, May they just sense something is different, whether they know Jesus or not. We want them to sense that something is different so they'll keep going in their faith journey. All right, number two, believe. <clears throat> believe is deeply scriptural ministry rooted in the truth of God's word and the power of the gospel. You know, assuming you're a convictional Christian, which you are, you wouldn't be at this conference, you're, 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 you know, you care deeply about God's Word. You care deeply about the Bible. Uh, you view the Bible as uh, the source to really discover who Jesus is. God cared so much about uh, what he's doing in the world that he had the Bible written down by Moses, by the prophets, uh, by the apostles. And it has been uh, written and translated and handed down. And boy, how special that is, right, that we have God's Word in our language and so we want to be good stewards, right? We want to be good stewards to make sure that this generation understands who Jesus is. So um, it's interesting. I mean, to me, to me, like, I don't know how you would reject the gospel. Like, it just seems so obvious to me, you know? And you, when you look at, like, you, you've seen Sean McDowell do this thing where here's the stack of the, the ancient manuscripts of the Bible, and here's the stack of the Iliad. You know, we, we teach the Iliad in our school systems and we don't, we don't blink about that, but we, we doubt the veracity and reliability of the scriptures, of the Bible. You know, so there's that piece, right? But then there's the, you know, LifeWay's done research even in the last two years that says, if kids listen to music that has a lot of scripture in it, they're more likely to take forward, steps forward in their faith. Uh, the Barna Group, Bible Study Fellowships, so many other organizations have done research that say you want to grow spiritually, guess what the number thing you can do is engage the Bible. And so kids being so open to being formed are very, very, uh, very, very receptive to the Bible. Uh, it is God's message uh, to humanity. Um, so there are four, four distinctives. Uh, if this is the kind of ministry you want, there are four distinctives of a resilient child disciple maker in, in the believing area. Uh, and the first one is this, the Bible gives kids the gospel, excuse me, the Bible gives kids access to the gospel 
which is the most robust and clear framework for understanding reality. I'll say that a couple more times. The Bible gives kids access to the gospel, which is the most robust and clear framework for understanding reality. So what are kids who are in the dominant secular culture, what they're picking up there in, in the public school system, they're being told what about reality? They're being told, hey, you came about as a result of Darwinian evolutionary processes, uh, which means therefore the conclusion is you get to create your own meaning, um, you gotta find your own happiness, you be you, your body, your choice, all of these things. Like that's, that's the dominant narrative that today's kids are growing up in. Um, but most children don't intuitively think like this, this, for example, it just came about as a result of natural processes. Most kids don't think this building, like, like it's not intuitive for a child for a human being to think that things just come about. Like things are thought, you know, they're, they're ideated, they're whiteboarded, you know, they're designed and, and then they're built, right? They're engineered and then they're built. Um, that's not a natural thing for a kid to think that this whole idea of randomization. Um, so my point is the gospel gives a clear framework of creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Creation there's a designer who put thought and intelligence and creativity and beauty and interest and purpose and value. Like, like all of that is intuitive to us as human beings. And as we grow older, we start to reject it because we want to be personally autonomous, right? Like that's kind of the inner spirit of humanity. But the gospel says, no, no, no. It started with the creator who designed you, who loves you, who cares about you. The second piece of the gospel is this idea of uh, kids also know there's a problem. They know something's wrong. Kids know the score. They know something's up. You know, when they steal that piece of gum and they don't tell anybody about it, they typically know inside that that was a wrong thing to do, even if they've never been told what right and wrong is. Like something doesn't feel right on the inside. Kids know about sin. They may not know how to describe it, right? But the gospel helps us understand where this came from. Adam and Eve had a choice. I'm going to trust God or trust myself. We trusted ourselves. And you know you would have done the same thing. Okay. So creation, fall, which really probably should be creation, rebellion, and the fall was the result of our rebellion. So creation, fall, redemption, it's this idea that Jesus, not the idea, it is Jesus uh, coming as our redeemer. And we're told in Genesis 3, we're told that there one day uh, one's going to come, is going to crush the serpent's head. And we find out in Genesis chapter 12, God tells Abraham, like, hey, God's going to do something. I'm going to do something amazing through your family. The entire Old Testament is about the, the Messiah who's coming. And then we see Jesus, the death, burial, resurrection in the Gospels. So creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5, he starts painting a picture of what his kingdom looks like. He's saying, the ways of this world, they're going to, he's just going to grind at you. But my kingdom's different. In Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he paints a picture for what that kingdom is going to look like. He's giving us the script to how to bring restoration to this world, how to live in his ways, how to treat people. So this framework, children's ministry has got to shift more toward this framework is becoming really clear. Because they're being told in this world, this world, they're being told this other script. So if we teach the Bible in such a way where we're teaching values and virtues, they're not getting the real story, right? Kids need the robust framework of the gospel, and it's got to be really clear. Okay, the second insight here, the, excuse me, the second um, distinctive of a believing, resilient child disciple maker 
uh, is that kids need to experience the Bible in community. These next two are very intuitive, very obvious, but I'm, so I'm going to fly through these. Kids need to experience the Bible in community. I'm just going to read straight from my script here. Um, listening to the Bible being read aloud at church, again, that just seems so obvious, but sometimes we just don't make that a priority. The corporate reading of Scripture and that being a rhythmic, normal thing that we do, uh, discussing the Bible together in a small group, asking questions, teaching a small, understandable portion of Scripture, and then engaging their minds in that, participating in the retelling of a story. A lot of kids are active learners. I was a very active learner. I had a very hard time doing any kind of memorization, uh, which is a little odd because I work for Awana. But, uh, but the retelling of Scripture, as an active learner, that would have been something that was, would have been great for me uh, as a child. Kids, if they get active, can, can mem and then retell the story. Singing of Scripture. Is there anyone in this room that knows anything about the singing of Scripture? This is Jason Hauser from Seeds, by the way. Um, praying Scripture together. Hey, guys, this is a verse from a guy named King David. Here's what King David did. Oh, this was so bad, but here's what he prayed. You too can pray this. Like, let's make this really accessible for children. Uh, one more thing is this idea of holding the Bible, the physical book in front of kids, letting them see it as you teach it, engage it, read from it, and pray from it. Uh, allowing kids to see that is a little distinctive from a, from a phone with an app, which can be like a bajillion things. Make it distinct and unique. Uh, you know there's this whole movement back to books because people want to touch it. Like, I encourage you to be a part of that. I think there's something special happening there. So, kids need to experience the Bible in community as they develop. The third thing is that kids need to engage the Bible personally. Again, going back to the insight, the insights, the more you engage the Bible, the more you grow spiritually. So let's create a scripture-rich environment. So kids need to engage the Bible personally. Listening to a parent or a guardian or a grandparent read the Bible to that child, reading the Bible together with that parent or guardian, reading the Bible on their own, even if it's just small little pieces of, or verses, um, memorizing the Bible, teaching them how to study. There are, you know, Bible teaching methods, that, or Bible uh, understanding methods, study methods that even a child can learn from. We taught our kids one called comma, context, observation, message, meditation, application. Anyway, like, like even my kids when they were little, they got, they got that. Um, uh, pray the scripture on their own. You can teach them a verse. Let's pray this. We're going to teach you how to pray it. And when you're at home, you can pray this. And then helping kids uh, to create space to think and meditate. You know, if you if you uh, if we do small group differently, we can teach them some of these skills to where they can do some of this on their own. Okay, the fourth the fourth um, distinctive of a ministry like this. Okay, hopefully you see the funnel starting with the robust framework of the gospel, engaging the Bible in community, and teaching them and equipping them to engage as a, as an individual. And then to what end? The fourth distinctive is your volunteers and leaders teaching kids to abide in Jesus. I understand the robust framework of the gospel. Okay, I get that. We're engaging this in community. We're engaging this as an individual. To what end? That I could have a relationship with Jesus. Uh, so, so teaching kids um, that God is real and is active today, teaching them to think about Jesus, teaching them to, to talk to Jesus as they read the Bible, after they read the Bible, 
to reflect upon what they've read, to worship him, to sing together with him, to confess sin, uh, etc. So again, the first, the first distinctive or the first uh, component, belong, highly relational ministry. Uh, the second component, believe, deeply scriptural ministry. And the third component is truly experiential ministry. Oh, by the way, that, that disciple maker's prayer under believe um, is uh, help kids to trust Jesus and abide in Jesus. This whole process of believing is to what end? We're hoping that they come to faith in him. There's no, there's no telling when each individual child is going to come to Jesus or if they are going to come to Jesus, but we're walking them through that process so that they might uh, know him. Okay, we're going into the last one here, become. Uh, become is this, uh, this idea right here is simply acknowledging any kind of educational environment or ministry environment, like a large group, small group, Sunday school, whatever, it is a simulation. Like, like it's, not, it's not the real world where they're making deals and signing contracts and you know, getting punched in the face. Like this is not the real world. This is kids' ministry. It's a simulation. Hopefully they're not getting punched in the face. I guess it could happen. But um, the, idea, the, the resilient insight here is that a child disciple maker can help kids navigate a changing culture and lead them to experience God's presence in the world around them. I'll read that one more time. A child disciple maker can help kids navigate a changing culture and lead them to experience God's presence in the world around them. <clears throat> so the four, the four distinctives, um, the first one is this, share your personal faith story. Share your personal faith story and give kids eyes to see God actively working in their lives. So if we're not careful... Uh, the good thing, I mean, we should be a Bible-teaching church, right? But if we're not careful, it can become like, this is all a history lesson. This is really good history. It's great to understand the Bible. But just like God was active in the book of Acts, and just like he's, he intervened in the life of Daniel, God is active today. We could probably spend the next 15 minutes sharing miracle stories. We each have probably miracle stories. We have, we have a handful in our family, and we've got friends who had, like I had a buddy who was on, who's a, who's a pastor and, and uh, he was on a mission trip where he had the medicine vials, like he knew the number. He was, his responsibility was to keep track of how many vials of medicine there were, but he also knew how many people were in line and there were far more people in line to get the vaccination than there were vials. And it was like the fish and the loaves. Like they, they gave like 200 vaccinations and there were only like 100, vac 100 vaccines. So it's just like God does stuff like that. Like we know that God does stuff, like God is active here. So in our kids' ministries, we've got to share those stories. Break away from your Bible lesson to say, guys, 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 like, you're not going to believe what God did this week. Like, tell them the stories of what God is doing in your life and what God's doing in the life of your church. Maybe it's something that didn't happen to you, but it's something God answered a prayer. He supernaturally intervened in the health of one of your church members or provided, uh, paid off a bill or so. I don't know what it would be, but share those stories. Uh, you can tell, you can share your kids how tell them how you came to Christ. Maybe God saved you from a, a horrible life, and it was a complete supernatural experience. Tell them about that. Tell them about a time when God showed up in a big way. Tell them about a time that you messed up and you needed forgiveness. Because if they don't understand that other people other than them screw up, they may think I have to hide my sin and I can't share that. I can't. I don't have a pathway toward redemption. 
Okay, the second uh, distinctive here is be a student of culture. Be a student of culture. What do we mean by that? If, if becoming is navigational, it's about living out our freedom and becoming like Christ, you as a leader need to become a student of culture so that you can understand how the world that they're navigating in. Uh, you, you're familiar with Second uh, Chronicles, the men of Issachar who understood the times and knew what to do. Uh, that's you. Your job is to really understand the times we're living in and to know how, how to help them. Um, I'm going to keep going because we're running out of time here. Cons the third one is consistently and actively engage kids in conversation. This sounds so simple. But do you know there's, there's been research on how many children, what they're seeing at home right now is this. They see parents with their faces buried in their phones. They're not actually getting conversation with adults. Your volunteer group, whether there's seven of you or 70 of you, boy, if we, could, if we could really absorb this and understand this and go back to that belonging piece, we've got to engage kids in conversation. The church can't be seen as a place that's distant from people. We gotta be seen as a place that's really near to kids. Uh, there's so much more I could unpack there. Uh, number four, uh, the final one here, give kids opportunity to experience God and to use their gifts to serve others. We think of church so much as consuming. I'm coming here to consume teaching, worship music, etc. But becoming is this experiential piece. Not only you walking beside them to help them experience life, experience God's presence, but also to experience the use of their gifts and their talents in a way that they can live out their purpose and their freedom and their meaning. So the again, this the prayer here um, is live the ways of Jesus. Live out the ways of Jesus, and we can help them. These are ways that we as leaders and volunteers can help them do that. So again, what's happening here, this is the key thing. Christian Smith says, it's not anyone, if you're not familiar with Christian, Chris, Christian Smith is a great researcher. He's saying it's not any one of these, it's all three working together. Once you start just like only focusing on one or even two of these, you start getting off balance. But when all three of these are working together, you're much more likely uh, to produce resilient disciples. And again, thinking of that church and home thing, many kids are getting this at home. Many, actually I shouldn't say that, a smaller percentage are getting it at home, a larger percentage are not. But the church can become this highly relational, vibrant community. I did a lot of talking. Uh, this is a lot of information. So just stepping back a half step here, what this is, what we just walked through, is actually a, a like a half a day training <laughs> that we're doing with Mark Matlock, uh, the Barnard Group, and, and Awana coming together. But this is this is going to be available for, for you to take your teams through in a way that's much more highly participatory, and it's being released in September of this year. So if you go to awana.org or Resilient Disciples website, you can uh, get more about the research and the training experience, etc. Also, one more thing. If you've not heard of the Child Discipleship Forum, it takes place in September. It's here in Nashville. If you Google Child Discipleship Forum, it's very similar to this in a lot of ways. Uh, you, can, you can check that out. So my name's Matt. I'll be here all week.
So that was Matt Markins with Awana, and that wraps up their track sessions from the National Disciple Making Forum of last year. I appreciate you listening in to this episode. I hope that you will hit subscribe to this channel so that you can stay up to date every time I release a new episode. And as always, thank you so much for being a Disciple Makers Podcast listener. I'll see you on the next episode.